a Bible this morning, find the book of Luke, and we're going to be in chapter number five, Luke chapter five. And good morning, everybody. How are you liking the weather? Come on. Uh, yesterday, we we're playing out in the yard, and my kids were so whiny. Anybody else? It's too warm. We need to go inside. It's too warm. We want to go watch TV. Ah. Anyone else know what I'm talking about? Whiny kids. Uh, it gets to be 72 degrees, and they think that it's Florida around here. Uh, Minnesotan kids are kind of weird. They're weak, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Uh, but what a beautiful day, and finally we're getting some of that, and so we're, we're glad that you're here today. If you're watching online this morning, thanks for, thanks for tuning in. Uh, we love it that you are with us here as well. If we have not had a chance to meet, my name is Kyle, one of the pastors here uh, at the church. And over the past few weeks, we've been looking at these specific encounters, is the word we've been using, encounters that Jesus had with different people uh, in the Bible and uh, understand Jesus was a real person historically. Jesus comes, uh, comes up in more places than just the Bible. History books talk about Jesus. They even say things like he was this miracle worker, uh, things that they didn't understand. His, outside of religion, we have this type of stuff. Jesus was a real person. He lived in a real time and he lived in a real place and interacted with real uh, with real people, and incredible things seemed to happen when he, when people encountered him, and and I'm really, I'm just crazy fired up to show you one of those uh, encounters today, and uh, so that's all the introduction that we have. We're getting right to the Bible. Will you stand with me all over this place, uh, and let's read a portion of scripture together, just kind of as we start, but I want to challenge you before we do to uh, what we call to lean in today. Uh, to be expectant. There, there is something about uh, coming to a situation just like this where we open up the word of God together and we talk about that where we have an opportunity for God to show up and speak and move in and through us and, uh, and all of that. And, and it all has to do with how we approach this. And so we just want to ask you, lean in, be expectant about this, sit on the, ed- sit on the edge of your seats. We like to say that uh, around here because we have an opportunity to experience God through his very word. So here we go. Luke chapter 5. Here's our story for today. It says this in verse 27. It says, Later... As Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Verse 29, later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them, but the Pharisees and their Teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? That's awesome, isn't it? It's right in, right in the Bible. Uh, Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Let's pray. God, we, we open ourselves up to you, we look to you, we ask for you to move and speak and, and in a way kind of just breathe on us, oh God. So we look, to, we look to you today, use me and help me even as I speak, God. Uh, we want to hear from you and it's in your name we pray, amen, amen. All right, give somebody a high five and have a seat. 
Yes, we are a high-fiving church. Well, I want to start by saying something that, that may come across as kind of harsh, uh, but history has really proven this to be true. Are you ready? Listen to this. Throughout history, Christians have often made a mess of things. We, we've often, as Christians, done things horribly wrong. Uh, let me show you a, a couple different places where, where Christians, in a way, have had good intentions, but just kind of gone the, the wrong direction. In the late 1400s, we... Uh, have what is called the Reformation, uh, where, where church really changed. Before that time, the, the Catholic Church had kind of taken over as the main Christian church in most of the world, and specifically in, uh, in Europe. And Martin Luther would show up. This is the first Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King Jr., if you're confused about that. Uh, but Martin Luther stands up to a very corrupt version of church. During that time, the Catholic Church was manipulating people. They were telling people they needed to give money so that their dead relatives would go to heaven. They were doing all sorts of things kind of shady underneath uh, and behind the scenes. Martin Luther was a Catholic leader who goes on and he writes out this list of 95 ways that the Catholic Church was wrong, called his 95th thesis. And he takes this list and he nails it to the front door of a church. Eventually, he's going to be killed for this. this is, but this is going to start something very special. But he was addressing a situation where the religious Christians were way off from where they should be. 1692, the second one, Salem, Massachusetts. Two girls, one nine and one eleven, were hung because they were thought to be involved in witchcraft in a historic event known as the Salem Witch Trials. You've maybe heard about this. These girls were acting out. These girls were also sick. They were vomiting. They were having seizures. And the local doctor diagnosed them as possessed by demons. And they were killed. Over the next few months, more than 150 others would be accused as well. Most of them hung, burned alive, stoned, or simply died in jail as this, like, a horrendous event in American history. Uh, But what's crazy is who these people were. This was happening uh, right in the middle of a group of people called the Puritans. If you know who they are, let me, if you don't, let me explain it to you. The Puritans were a group of people from Europe who did not like, they, they thought the European church was corrupt, so they got on a boat and came to America to begin what they called a pure form of Christianity. And it was these people these Christians who began executing people uh, because they thought they were possessed by demons. Then we have slavery in America, a a horrendous stain on the history of our country. People were taken from their homes, shipped across the ocean, sold as property, and the so-called American Christians, understand, were right there in the center of this, even using the Bible to make their argument about how owning someone else was biblical. You may think of this as like American history. This is Christian history is what this is. Then we have the civil rights movement filled with white Christians standing against black people voting, black people using the same drinking fountains and going to the same schools as white people. This is our history as Christians. These are massive stains in the history of... This is where where Christians had good intentions, but they were just off. You understand what I'm saying? They were missing it. They, they were missing it big time. Uh, we'll come back to this in a moment. 
a few moments ago, we read a story where Jesus interacts with this man named Levi. Quick story, few verses long, but there is so much here, so much in this for us to learn. And uh, so let's just go through these few verses one at a time, and we'll just sort of talk this story out a bit. So here we go. Verse 27, I know we read this, but we're going we're gonna to talk it through. All right, it says, later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. It starts with the word later, which kind of implies that this is actually the second half of the story, doesn't it? Uh, Let me back up quickly and tell you what has just happened. Jesus is in this house, and he's teaching a whole bunch of people, and this crowd forms. In fact, the story says that they packed this house like sardines. People are trying to just get to Jesus and hear what he had to say. Well, these four guys show up carrying a man. They carry a man. The the man is paralyzed. He can't move. That's what the Bible says. And they want to get him to Jesus, but there are too many people inside the house. So what do they do? They figure out how to climb up on the roof of the house. They dig a hole in the roof, and they somehow lower this man through the roof onto the crowd right there in front of Jesus. Well, this happens, and this man is lowered right in front of Jesus. Jesus stops, he pauses, and he turns to this paralyzed man who is laying on some sort of a mat, and he says, friend, your sins are forgiven. Well, there were these religious people, religious leaders, who were in the crowd, and they start they start thinking like, who does this man think he is? Only God can forgive sins. And the story says that Jesus knows what they're thinking. And he says, why are you thinking these things? This is what the story says. And he turns to the paralyzed man and he says, get up, take your mat and go home. The paralyzed man is instantly healed, stands up, walks out of that place. Everyone who is there is amazed, obviously, gives praise to God saying, we have seen something incredible. But the religious leaders are offended and they're upset because they're embarrassed. And the very next verse is what we just read, verse number 27. It starts with later, or another translation just says, after this. So Jesus has just done this, and now he gets on the road. He's leaving this town, and as he's walking, he sees a tax collector sitting at what's called a tax collector's booth. Let's briefly talk about tax collectors and tax collectors' booths in the first century. During the time of Jesus, Israel was ruled by Rome, was ruled by the Roman Empire. There were Roman soldiers in their streets. There were Roman rules and Roman leaders. Are you with me? All right. Uh, Israel had been overthrown by Rome, and the result was that the Jewish people had been now, they were now forced to pay taxes to Caesar, 500 and some miles away in Rome. Uh, understand, most of us here in America do not like paying taxes to America. Would you agree with me? Yes. Could you imagine being forced to pay taxes to some other country? As much as you hate paying taxes now, could you imagine having to, being forced to? This, this would be like if, if, if Canada came and overthrew America, like the Canadians all marched down with their hockey sticks and... <laughs> Uh, I don't know, and they show up, and they take over America, and they force us to say A after everything we say, and then we now have to pay taxes to Canada, 
Okay, this is, this is the picture here, a portion of everything you earn, like giving to this brutal dictatorship that is lording over you. Obviously, this does not sit well with the Jewish people. And many Jews were actually waiting for the coming Messiah and their expectation for the coming Messiah was to free them from the Roman Empire, much like Moses freed them from the Egyptians years and years before. But this is the situation with paying taxes and tax booths along the road. But here's where it gets even messier. Are you with me? All right. Zero people are with me. Someone say, I'm with you. Okay, that's so much better. I like that. Okay, here's where it gets even messier. Though the taxes were paid to Rome, the tax collectors were actually fellow Jews. Can you picture this? There, these were fellow Jews who were working for the enemies. They were traitors. People hated them for that. But it goes a step farther because Rome, what they would do is they would find local Jews and they would say, hey, I tell you what, I want you to become a tax collector. What do you say? And the guy would be like, I don't know. I don't really want to be a traitor and be hated by everyone. And then Rome would say, well, I tell you what. This is how much money we need from you. We don't care how much you charge people. You charge people however much you want, and you can pocket the rest. So tax collectors understand what's happening here with a tax collector in the time of Jesus. We've got a Jewish guy working for the Roman Empire who is cheating and swindling and conning his fellow people out of money for his own personal gain. This is the tax collector. This is the man in our story. They were shady. They became rich by manipulating other people, their own people. That is who we have that day when Jesus shows up and Jesus turns to that man, the man sitting in a tax collector's booth, the man who has swindled and lied and manipulated, and Jesus turns to him and he says, hey, come follow me, come be my disciple. And verse number 28 just says, so Levi got up, he left everything, and he followed Jesus. And he follows Jesus. Quick, quick, quick question. What is everything in this verse? What is he leaving? I think the implications here is clearly his job, but it's even more than that. It's his lifestyle. It's his wealth. Uh, that's what he left. And spoiler alert, this is so crazy, Levi is going to eventually become Matthew, who is going to be one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, who's going to write the Gospel of Matthew, a massive book that we have in our Bible, and eventually he is going to be killed for his faith, for following Jesus. That's who we have in our story right here. Jesus says, come follow me. Levi leaves everything. Verse 29, later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors, can you picture the group? And other guests are also ate with them. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law, these are the religious leaders of his day, these are the same people that just a moment ago, uh, a story ago, accused Jesus of, you can't forgive sins, who do you think you are? And they leave embarrassed. They show up now at this meal Tax collector, tax collector's party, Jesus honored guest, guest right there, and it says they complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. 
They're not even talking to Jesus. They're like muttering outside. Do you hear this? And they say, why do you eat and drink with such scum? Why do you do that? Verse 31, Jesus answers them. It's funny because he's ta- they're, they're talking to the disciples, but Jesus just answers them. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have not come to call those who think they're righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Now, that's our story. And what I want to do uh, quickly is just get, kind of give you three observations that as I read this story, uh, kind of jumped off the page at me. We have three basic main characters or a group of people. Uh, we have Jesus, we have the tax collector, Levi, and then we have the religious leaders. And, and so I want to give you an observation from each three of those. Write this stuff down if, as you're taking notes, okay? First, for the tax collector. Uh, his name is Levi, okay? We know him as Matthew, uh, and there's a few different directions we could go with this, but here's where we're going to go today. Number one, Levi left a material fortune to gain a spiritual one, okay? He left a material fortune to gain a spiritual one. I don't think we can truly study this story without thinking through what Levi actually gave up and what this would have meant for him to become a follower of Jesus, to become a disciple of Jesus, Levi gave up money, boatloads of money. Even though he earned it uh, in a very shady way, we're talking about a man who has money. He gave up power. As, as a tax collector, even though he's hated, he, he, is, he is something now that he wasn't before by being a tax collector. In with the Roman government, all of that. Material possessions that he gave up. Uh, The decision to follow Jesus cost Levi greatly. And not only will it cost him material possessions, it's eventually going to cost him his life. Our story, in in fact, simply puts it, Levi got up, left everything. Levi left a material fortune to gain a spiritual one. Jesus said it this way in the book of Mark, and don't like gloss over this. This is tough stuff. Okay, he wrote this, or Jesus, the words of Jesus, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try and hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. Now check out verse 36. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? We have this idea of abundant material possessions, but losing your very soul in, in the words of Jesus. Now listen to me. In my opinion, and I've been doing this for a long time now as a pastor, in my opinion, the number one thing that keeps people from truly serving God is wealth and material possessions. I've, I see this over and over. Why? Because very simply, when you have more than you need, you don't really need God. And also, because you have the most to lose and the most to give up. And I believe this this is why Jesus brings up money and he brings up material possessions over and over and over again in his teachings and in his interactions with people. Matthew chapter 19, which by the way is written by Levi, uh, we, it tells the story of this man named the rich, rich young ruler. Young man, wealthy man, comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I'm ready to follow you. 
And Jesus turns to this rich kid and he says, okay, go sell everything that you have and come on, let's go. And the story says that the man went away sad because he had many possessions. Jesus ends that by saying, it is almost impossible for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. It's like trying to fit a camel through an eye of a needle, is the words of Jesus. Luke chapter 12 tells a story of a rich man who had many, many crops. Uh, so he decides, I'm going to build bigger barns and store all that I have and set it all aside. And, do, and the story ends with Jesus saying, what a fool. What a fool. And what a mistake to store up things for yourself but not be rich towards God. I could go on and on. But for the sake of time, just understand, Jesus, there was something about, Jesus understood, there's something about material possessions and wealth that seemed to keep people from really following him. Never in the sense of wealth is bad, but more in the sense of understand, the more that you have, the more difficult it is. And in our story, we're shown a man who gives up material wealth to follow Jesus. Second observation, let's, let's talk about Jesus here for a moment. And it's simply this, Jesus sees people differently than we see people. Okay? Understand, when the people in that community, in that culture, looked at Levi, they saw something very specific, didn't they? They would have seen a traitor, they would have seen a, a sinner, we even have the word scum that comes up for, out of their mouth. They saw someone they despised. They saw someone that they assumed God even despised. This was a man whose entire life was wrapped up in conning other people for his own personal gain. A man who lived a wealthy lifestyle, tremendous means, went back to a large house. Every, people would have been jealous of him. People would have been resentful. They would have hated him. Understand this, listen, everybody in this story, everybody in that culture would have seen Levi in the same exact way except for Jesus. Jesus looks at that man and he sees something completely, I, I can't even begin to tell you how crazy it is that Jesus asks that man to be one of his disciples. We just read this type of stuff and we think, wow, isn't that beautiful? That's so, it's just so beautiful. But think about this for a moment. This is, this is the worst person you could ever imagine. And Jesus just says, hey, bud, I believe in you. Sign up with me. Let's go. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Now listen, as Christians, we should live our lives as Jesus did. That includes learning to see the world the way he saw the world, learning to see people the way that Jesus saw people. The world looks at Levi and, and sees self-centered jerk face. <laughs> like manipulative jerk is what they see. Jesus says, hey, I believe in you, let's go. And, and listen, this is crazy difficult, isn't it? Like seriously, because it is just human nature for us to look at somebody, see the way that they act, see the things that they do, see the things that they post on social media, and come to the conclusions about who they must be. But Jesus walks up to the, Jesus walks up to the most corrupt, unlikable person in your life, 
and he loves him, believes in him, and that person responds by following Jesus. Allow that to sink in. Allow that to move you and convict you because that convicts me. Jesus sees people very differently than we see people. Now, the third character, or in this story, we're gonna, it's, it's more of a group. It's our religious leaders. And I hinted at this earlier, but let's talk about it for a quick minute. The, the third observation is this. As church people, we must be very aware of our tendency to drift. What, what do I mean by drift? It's the idea that, for the most part, Christians have good intentions, and they mean well, and they truly want to honor God and prioritize Him in their life. But for some reason, and I see this over and over and over again, for some reason, the longer a person is a Christian, the easier the easier it becomes for the main thing to no longer be the main thing. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, we, get, we begin to get sidetracked into all sorts of different things, in all sorts of different areas, and we forget the amazing grace that changed our lives. And we exchange that and begin to bicker and complain and for some reason, some, of, some Christians who have been Christians the longest are some of the meanest people you could ever meet. Don't point, please. <laughs> but seriously, some of you know what I'm talking about. And you're around someone and you say, how could you call yourself a Christian like you? You don't look anything like Jesus. See, this, this, is where we, like, this is where we started. We started talking about the history of Christianity, people with good intentions who somewhere along the line found themselves drifting away from where they really should be heading. This is what we see in our story. Understand here, we have religious leaders. These are people who study the Bible for a living. These are people whose their role in this culture is to help people better live their lives for God. But over the years, they had slowly drifted away from what was right. And they now see Jesus eating with a bunch of tax collectors, not so great people. And they respond by saying, why does Jesus eat with these people? They're missing it, mi missing the very heart of God. See, man, you, you think this is all about going to church? You think this is all about giving money or singing songs and all your religious traditions? Like, but you're missing it. You want to know why I'm spending time with, with scum, the words of Jesus? Because it's not the healthy people that need a doctor. I'm not here to hang out with churchy people. I'm here to help the people who are lost and who are hurting and who are far away from God. And listen, listen, listen. As church-going followers of Jesus, which many of us in this place would consider ourselves that, we must be aware, fully aware of our tendency to get off and to miss the mark and to drift from the very, very heart of God. Listen, if, if your relationship with God isn't in some way intertwined with a passion to help people who are far from God, then very simply, you have drifted. Because that right there is the very heart of who Jesus is and why he came. Luke, Luke chapter 19, straight out of the mouth of Jesus, the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. 
The Son of Man came to seek and save those who are, that's the mission of Jesus. It's the reason he came, and it's the heartbeat of what it means to be a Christian. But we drift, and we think being a Christian is about going to church and doing nice things and saying prayers and singing songs. As Christians, we must be very, very careful. Uh, please come and play the piano for me. She asked me not to say, Lydia, please come. <laughs> but now I feel like I've ruined that, haven't I? This is not going well. Yes, she does not want you all look, to look at her right now. <sighs> before we go, before we go, um, I want to just take a few moments for just kind of a time of prayer and reflection. Will you stand with me all over this place? With stories like this, listen, with stories like this, what I know is that God, God speaks to individuals um, in different ways and at different times, and I want to leave room for that. The question I want to ask very simply is, like, what is God speaking to you about today? What is God speaking to you about today? May, maybe you can relate uh, to, to Levi. May, maybe you have, maybe you've made a mess of your life. Maybe the decisions that you, maybe you're filled with all sorts of regret and all sorts of stuff from the junk that you've done and the places that you've been and the life that you have, not like, like listen to me here, Jesus didn't come for the healthy. And church shouldn't just be about, about Christians. If you are here right now, listen to me, and, and, you, and you are a mess, we love it that you are here because we are all a mess or we're all a mess or gonna be a mess. We're a mess. People are messy. Every single one of us. And we could go around this room and we could listen to the stories that people would tell us and say, wow, I, was, I went there and I did that and I'm so ashamed. And the things that I think about and the attitudes that I've had, the people that I've hurt, my life, I've messed it up. Maybe you're here today and you just feel that. And you feel that today. But see, see God in his mercy has made a way because the mess that we have made has destroyed things. In fact, it has destroyed our relationship with the one who created us. But God comes and he brings this perfect plan to bring salvation to messed up people like you and me. God sent Jesus. It's why he came to be born a human being and to die, to die for you and to die for me. And with no one looking around here for just a moment, just a time of privacy and reflection here before we go. Maybe you're here today and you would just simply say, man, I have never responded to this Jesus and I need to do that today. If that's you, will you just show me your hand? I, I just want to pray for you. Thank you. If you're watching this online right now, you can, you can respond as well. Just responding to the message of Jesus, the hope that comes in him, the forgiveness and the grace that comes through Jesus Christ. Anyone else in this place that would say, that's me? Church, can we just pray together? Everyone in this place, everyone online, let's pray this prayer. Pray, Father God, I give you my life. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Forgive me of my sins and change my life. 
In your name, I pray. Amen, amen. Come on, can we celebrate with those that maybe have made that decision today for the first time? Now, before we go, there are other parts in this as well. There are other parts. Some of us, God is showing us that you need to begin to see people in a different way. Some of us, you understand, and you are even right now willing to admit that you oftentimes come to conclusions and judgments about the very people that God created, by the way. And the mistakes of people should not, should not cause us as Christians to write anybody off. We need to begin to see, see that. For others, we feel and we know that we have drifted. Religious people start muttering to themselves, and religious people, we mutter to ourselves. And we mutter to the people around us. This judgmental, mean-spirited attitude, it's not very much like Jesus. And as I close in prayer today, can I just kind of ask you to, to allow God to maybe work on your heart and work in your life and do something. We don't want to just show up at church. We want to meet with God and be challenged and changed. And so let's just pray together. God, we pray for you to do something in our hearts. God, I pray that as we look at this story today, where we see a man who was a mess and we see Jesus who loves him and believes in him. And God, I just pray that we would see people and begin to see people the way that you see them, God. Change us, change our lives and our hearts and align us more with you, oh Jesus. God, I pray that we would not be religious people who, who drift away from the main thing. In fact, God, I pray that if, that if we are here and if, and if we have drifted, Lord, I pray that something would pull us back to the center and we would begin to make the main thing the main thing. God, that you care about people who are lost and who are hurting and who are broken and who are far from you. Let that be the main thing for us because it's the main thing for you. Change us and challenge us and move us. Oh God, we pray. And Lord, I pray that as we walk out these doors today that we would be just more aware of you and more in tune with you, that we would hear your voice and, and show people your love and tell them your story. God, move us. God, we pray. And it's in the powerful, amazing name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen.